Welcome to today's podcast by Preacher, as he provides sound teaching on the pure and undiluted truth of God's Word, with life application that inspires you to live a holy life pleasing to God. We pray that these teachings will inspire you to live out your faith daily with confidence, be assured of your salvation in Christ, and God's unconditional love for you. Scripture reading this morning will be taken from the book of Job, the 23rd chapter, and beginning with the first verse. <laughs> I still rebel and complain against God. I cannot keep from groaning. How wish I knew where to find him and knew how to go where he is. I would state my case before him and present all the argument in my favor. I want to know what he would say and how he would answer me. Would God use all his strength against me? No, he would listen as I spoke. I am honest. I could reason with God. He would declare me innocent once and for all. I have searched in the east, but God is not there. I have not found him when I searched in the west. God has been at work in the north and the south, but still, I have not seen him. Yet God knows every step I take. If he tests me, he will find me pure. I followed faithfully the road he chooses and never wondered to either side. I always do what God commands me. I follow his will, not my own desires. He never changes. No one can oppose no one can oppose him or stop him from doing what he wants to do. He will fulfill what he has planned for me. That plan is just is a just one of the many he has. I tremble with fear before him. Almighty God has destroyed my courage. It is God, not the dark, that makes me afraid even though the darkness has made me blind. And then in the book of John, the first chapter in the 11th verse, he came to his own country, but his own people did not receive him. Lord, help us to understand this morning what we have just now read. of her life and her dying period of her life way before her time those who knew her said at one time when she was younger that she was a very beautiful person because of the things that happened to her in her life and the frustration that she went through after losing her husband and having the responsibility of a teenage son and all this confusion and frustration, she turned to drugs and to other things to numb, I suppose, the, the hurt and 
the loneliness within her heart and her soul until at last she comes to the place uh, where she is hooked on uh, these helps, these things that uh, can deaden and, and numb a person. And in the midst of all of this and this frustration, her teenage son left her and never to return. And she was never to hear from him again. And now the years have gone by. And I come to know as a person that is dying and one that the mother and the depth of her loneliness, the moment of her, her most sane times uh, when she was at herself and knew what she was saying and what she was doing, she would crowd in agony. Oh, that I knew where he was. And if I could only see him one more time before I died. And she extracted a, a pledge from me that if he ever shows up, will you tell him uh, that his mother uh, loved him? Well, he never showed up. And she died and I buried her. The agony and the emotional agony and the spiritual tension in this plea is one of the same that you will find in the Old Testament as I read to you from the book of Job. The, we read these words so casually. And here Job in the midst of all of his pain and agony and his suffering, you know at this time that Job has lost everything. He's lost his family, everyone but his wife. He's lost everything that he had physically. He's lost all of his money, all of his land, and even his health. And now he's outside the city on the garbage heap and too sick to die and too sick to live. And it's here where these three friends of his come to him and they were so taken by his pain and his agony uh, that they actually waited six days before they said a word to him. And in the, here he is in this, in this position and then this pain and agony. And he cries out from the depth of his very soul, Oh, that I knew where God might be. Now you know that if you, starting in the second chapter, those three friends of his that came to him, uh, they are the ones that uh, came to comfort him. And you have heard tell of Job's comforters before and what they really turned out to be. But here's a man searching for God as best he knows how to search for God. And now it's strange when you think about this search that, uh, that Job had for God. And you see God searching for man. And that's revealed in the scripture that I read to you here in the book of John. Now, the Bible is not man's search for God, but it is a record of God's search for man. And we want to remember that. It is God's search for man. And here Jesus comes into the world. And it is God's search for man. And, and here God involved in Jesus Christ. And, and Jesus Christ is searching for man. And here we have the strange, the strange thing to happen. Uh, that man is searching for God and God is searching for man. And yet Jesus came unto his own and his own did not receive him. How could this possibly be? Well, it's not an ancient problem, dear friends. It is modern as... Uh, uh, this uh, uh, past uh, two or three weeks. Man searching for God. I did my best to try to help him to find what he was looking for. Uh, but here we are. And in some degree it's a story of every one of us. 
Even we go through those nightmares of our soul when, and God doesn't seem to be present and, and we cry out. Well, how can this be? Well, <clears throat> I'm saying everything that I'm saying this morning to say one thing that the choir has already said so beautifully uh, that God really does love us. But let's approach it to, from Job's point of view. Why was it that Job could not find the God that he was searching for? Well, in the first place, I would call your attention to the fact uh, that the, the Lord that Job was searching for really never existed. Or the concept of God that they had was dying. Now that's uh, not uh, too strange from our, for our ears today because we had just a few years ago there were those who said that God was dead. Well, the concept that they had of God was changing. And this old concept of God was passing away. And in the midst of this dilemma that you see the suffering and the pain and agony of Job, of Job here is where it's began to be beat out, this proper and more perfect concept of the living God. You see, even Job was confused. Now his friends, if you read those long discussions uh, that uh, his three friends gave him, their lectures really, you'll get lost in them. But you just remember one thing, that they're all three of them trying to say one single thing. And that is they said, Job, you are a sinner. And God has visited you with all this pain and agony and suffering and, and stripped you down to nothing because you are a sinner. And if you will repent of your sins and do what you know you ought to do, then God's going to take note of you and everything's going to be all right. And poor old Job looked at his own heart and soul and searched it to, as best a man could. And in effect, he said to them, I know that I haven't sinned that much yet. You know, it's just a pitiful situation. But the concept that they had of God was one as that if you sin... It means that you're going to be punished, and you're going to be punished in a great way. And so they just knew they could look and see what happened to Job. I had been stripped of everything that he had, and they knew that he had to be a sinner. Now, that existed in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, too. We remember the Lord Jesus Christ with his disciples were out one day and came across a man that had been blind from, his, from birth. And the disciples looked at the Lord Jesus Christ, just as Job's comforters, the same thing is involved and said to the Lord Jesus Christ, Now who sinned? This man or his parents? Sin is the thing that these people had lodged in their mind that God would visit them in a very cruel way. Now is it any wonder <clears throat> that we come to the scribes and the Pharisees and look at them and see what they tried to do? Because you see, the God that they were involved with, this law-giving God, the God that gave laws fast and fixed and, and to breach those laws that mean that, uh, that you would be excommunicated even from the kingdom of God. And so they were blinded. When the Lord Jesus, how could this be, dear friends? How could this perfect one come among them? And they not recognize him as a savior and as the Messiah. Do you think they deliberately set out in their heart and their soul to do that? Do you think that they were any more evil than you and I are today? 
Or could it be that they were looking for God that never existed and that they had got caught in a, in a moray of, of, of things that uh, led them astray? And they had gotten in such a fixed position that they could not even see the Lord Jesus Christ, the blessed Son of God, the Savior of the world, the extension of God's love to us, walked among them, and they could not see it. I remember not too long ago, there was a young lady found out that I was a preacher in a place of business, and we were talking, and she says, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in God. And we talked on a while. And I said, well, what do, you, what do you believe about God? And she didn't tell me all the things that she didn't believe. Told me about some of the things that she believed about God. It was a strict type of, of a sadistic God. You know, when I, was a, when I was a kid, just a small thing, I, I remember thinking of God too. Who did I get this concept of God? As being one that could really see me and he carried around a little little black book. And every time I thought about stealing those watermelons, he wrote it down. <laughs> Everything. You know, for years I went that way and I thought about that. Even when I grew older, I thought that God is able to see everything. He's got everything lodged against me. Every, every evil thought I've had and, and everything that I've done, and there were plenty of them. And this is exactly the concept that Job had. And this is exactly the concept that the Pharisees and Sadducees and the scribes had that blinded them to the Lord Jesus Christ when he came into the world and walked among them. What was the Lord Jesus Christ really like? What was he really like? Well, how could it be done better than was done this morning for us with the choir? For God so loved the world. And then we think of the Lord Jesus Christ let those who labor and are heavy laden come unto me. We think about all the beautiful things that Jesus did and how he went out and touched people, touched the untouchables. Now this was what Jesus was really like. And then we see these people who were so steeped in their concept of religion and the way it should be practiced. Now that if a, man, if a man was sick on the Sabbath day, it was just too bad. He couldn't, uh, he couldn't uh, be healed until another day. And these people had laws that fixed that they kept in a meticulous way. In a meticulous way, they kept these laws. It's not what they did, but what they did not do. Even with their laws, you see, uh, they could let the people be abused and mistreated and starved to death and be even on the way to take care of the temple work and find the man that had been robbed and abused and mistreated to and not able to take care of himself. But they were in such a hurry to get on with the business. Uh, that they didn't have time to stop and take care of this man. The, the man had been robbed. And that's why they could not see the Lord Jesus Christ. is because they were looking for a God that really didn't exist. He was not a legalistic. Dear friends, I don't care whatever you want to say about God. And when you come to the New Testament, we do not have a legalistic God. No, no, we do not have. Now, that's not saying that we ought not to abide by rules and regulation. But let us know that we serve a God that loves us more perfectly than we could ever possibly, ever possibly dream of. Well, they were looking for the wrong God. Secondly, 
They had the wrong concept of man. Job was quite sure of his capabilities, you know. It comes out here so clearly. And he knew that, uh, that uh, he was pretty good because he said, if I knew where his judgment seat was, if I knew where he held court, I could go before this judge and plead my case. Now you notice the terminology of a judgment type of a situation. I could go before him and plead my cause. How many of us look to God as being a judge in a legalistic uh, con, in a legalist concept instead of looking him, to Him as our, our Heavenly Father? We, Job thought he was good enough to stand be, before God. Well, the point is perfectly expounded to, in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, those who were the keepers of the law, they were right religious about the situation, right meticulous about it. And yet they could rob the widow. They could let men die. They could let other men starve to death. And they could pass and insist on laws that would even take a man's life. They were so sure of their goodness uh, that they did not need the Lord Jesus Christ, seemingly. You know, the sanest question perhaps we could ask ourselves by, if we are good, by whose standard are we good? By whose standard? Everything that we have practiced, even within the church, has not been, been good. Some of it is what we have left undone has, has been evil. And every sin that has ever been committed and, and lodged in any book any, anywhere has been done in and through the church and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have killed, we have slaughtered, we have enslaved, we have starved, and we have thrown people out or not even brought them in to even be thrown out. We have neglected them because they are not of the right kind. And yet we are told and we really believe within our heart that man is created in the image of God. And not just a few people. Everyone. Everyone that you come in contact with. Even those who are unlovable. Yes, we... What profit is it to us to reveal our goodness if we only love those people who are lovable? Well, to really to do what Jesus has called for us to do, it takes more than and just talking about it. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we love one another the way that we love the Lord Jesus Christ or the way we say we love the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, dear friend, it's a misnomer when we come to the Scriptures and think about our attitude in relation to one another. When we say that we love the Lord Jesus Christ and give some, some type of, of, of neglect to our fellow man. It just doesn't stack up, you see. All the hurt could be taken care of within, within our life and within our church if we would just love one another. And give a demonstration of it like we say we love the Lord Jesus Christ. God is love. But they were not looking for this type of a person you see. They were not looking for this type of a person. They wanted someone to restore Israel. They wanted someone to give some laws fast and fixed. And if you didn't take care of those laws and keep them properly, uh, that uh, you would be zapped by it. We remember James and John coming with the Lord Jesus Christ, went into a town and they didn't, the little town didn't want to, the disciples to stay there all night and so ran them off. They went out to the Lord Jesus Christ and told him and the rest of them said, let's call down some, some fire and brimstone on them and get rid of them. 
Well, I think I know what they're talking about. I kind of felt that way at time or two myself. But you know, nothing could be farther from the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing could be farther from it. You see, regardless of how much good you do and how many things you do well in keeping the law of God, so to speak, unless it's revealed in and through your relationship with man properly in love, what does it profit you? They look for the wrong God. They had the wrong concept of man. Man is, in a sense, nothing without the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, I don't care how far you go and how much you do and what all the wonderful things that you do. As far as the world's concerned here, it would be better than the opposite. But I want to tell you, as far as your soul in relation to the kingdom of God, it's not going to profit you one thing. Only Jesus Christ can save you. Only Jesus. And you have to come to Him in such a way uh, where you have to admit that you haven't been able to do the things that even you wanted to do. They looked in the wrong place. Given some thought to God and man, where did we search for God? Well, there were those who said that the Scripture says so too. And the Old Testament says you ought to be able to look in the lives of other people and be able to see the hand of God. I, I often think about this man some four or 5,000 years ago. I would have fainted if I had not hoped to see the hand of the Lord in the land of the living. I, I would have just grown weary and, and, and passed away if I hadn't to hoped to see, if I didn't see, the goodness of God in another human being. Now that's what we're looking for. And this is what this fellow is looking for. You know, thinking again, burnt within my memory. Talking about seeing the hand of God in another human being. Oh, how beautiful it is. I'm thinking of one lady right now that I had the privilege of being her preacher for several years. and Never have I found a more committed and dedicated person and yet she never taught a Sunday school class. And that's not to excuse you if you're capable of it. <laughs> and she uh, never made a speech. But she was in church most every Sunday. She walked to church about three blocks away. Every Sunday. Rain, shine, snow or blow. And she, she was there. Depend on her. Depend on her to be there. But I remember her. Her... Her husband had passed away. Before he passed away, he and another member of the family got into a fight, an argument, and he shot and killed a member of his own family. And then shortly after that, he passed away. And she was left with a, with a beautiful daughter and a little daughter that uh, was a little mongoloid child and, and was severely handicapped. And she lived in a little three-room house and, and kept everything going, body and soul together, and and she was faithful and committed. And, and in that church, they decided that they needed a parsonage. And it was about 10 years they needed one. But the father got around doing something about it. And it came time for them to take up money, you know, to go out and visit people to receive their pledges. And, and this little lady came forward and said, I'll, I'll take some. I'll, I'll go. And that little lady went out. I remember all the difficulty and hardships she'd had. And you remember the type of home, house that she was living in. 
hadn't been too well taken care of. She didn't have anybody to help her. She couldn't paint it. She had the money to paint it. And so it was pretty well dilapidated. Now this little lady went out and visited her, her, her friends and her loved ones, members of the church, her fellow Christians, and received more pledges and money than any other member of that church. And she saw that the church built a parsonage. I would have died if I had not been a witness to the goodness of the Lord and another human soul. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. And the Greeks always thought that, uh, that uh, you all, you should be able to look at nature. Or you should be able to look at anything that has any order to it. Here's where Paul gets his heavy influence from the Greeks. When he says to us, well you ought to be able to look at nature. The order in which it is, seed time and harvest, and, and summer and fall and winter. You ought to be able to look at nature and know that there's a God. The Greeks would say to know that there's a mastermind behind it. It's been planned. It's all part of, of a super plan. There had to be a, a mind behind this. And Paul added to it and said, it's God. Gave it a name. Gave him a name. It's God. Look at, the, at, the, at nature and be able to tell uh, that there is a God. And so we should. Also, there's another place for us to look for God. The most important place of all. And that is to look within your own heart and your own soul. I remember a little lady that uh, came to the church where I have not be the minister. And she, after been there about a year or so, I've forgotten now, but she came and said she had a beautiful little daughter. And her and her little daughter was in church every Sunday morning. She, she lived outside of town and her husband was a part-time farmer. And he worked at another job and farmed uh, when he didn't... Uh, wasn't it the other job? But anyway, she said, came in. She said, I'll never forget. She said, uh, uh, said uh, Preacher, I wish you could do something about my husband. <laughs> Just like that. You know, no, no explanation. I wish you'd do something about my husband. I said, well, let's talk about it. See what you want the preacher to do about your husband. And I said, well, you've been married to him about three years now, and you haven't been able to do too much to him. What, what you say, me, I can do. Well, anyway, she wanted him to come to church, and she was trying to figure out a way to get him to come to church. And sort of a typical but not too odd, you know. And I would try to figure it out too, and I figured and I ciphered, and, and I couldn't do much good with it either. And so, you know, folk, I want to tell you something. You just, just look around. You, you can see the hand of God if, if you just be sensitive to it. And, and one day I was visiting one of those farmers that owned a farm next to his in early spring. I think it must have been about April or May. Went to the house and looked out across the field and, and there was this man I went to see who was out there in the field uh, with his big tractor and about big old plows on behind four of them dragging through the field, turning the field upside down, plowing. So I walked out to the field. The time I got there, here came this young man uh, that was uh, married to this lovely lady and had this little daughter. And so he wanted to see the this man too. And so we stood there and talked a few minutes and I 
ascertained that this guy, a young man, had business with his neighbor. And I said, well, I said, why don't you let me take this tractor and plow a couple of rounds through the field here for you? And this guy, he said, well, preacher, just go ahead and do it. I said, the only thing I want to know is how to start it and stop it. And I can figure the rest of it out. So he did a big old tractor. I climbed up on that thing and went down through the field. Did a pretty good job. Came back and did it again. Came back. And by that time, they seemed to have been finished. And so I got off. And this guy, this young man, was standing there with his mouth open on one. And he says, Preacher, have you ever done that before? I said, well, not this big a tractor. You know, I never had one this big. It's a big one. And, you know, we talked there a few minutes. And he said, you know, I'm going to come to church Sunday. Yeah. Now, how about that? You would believe almost there's a God, wouldn't you? That guy came to church for about three or four Sundays. And then I went to see him. And he's a very honest young man. And he says, Preacher, he says, I've listened to you preach for three or four Sundays. And I want to tell you the truth. He says, I might as well have been out here talking to my cows. <laughs> now, how do you think that makes a preacher feel? So, I said, well, come on a few more Sundays. And then... We're going to sit down and talk about this some more. So one, one day he came in the office. And we were sitting there talking. And I said, Sam, he still hadn't found what he was looking for. And he was, he was searching for God honestly. I said, Sam, can you think of anything in your heart good that you want to do? And he thought for a few moments. And he said, Preacher, I can't think of a thing. <laughs> and I realized, he says, I can't think of a thing that I want to do good. And I realized I'd said it wrong. And so I said, can you think of anything that you know you ought to do that's good? And he thought for a while. He says, yes. He says, my brother over there needs some help. He's had an accident. And said, I, I, I should go over and, and, and help out in, in his farm. And he went over and did some work for his brother. He says, and I talked to him later, he says, Preacher, he says, while I was over talking and helping my brother and doing some chores around for him, he says, I thought of my mother-in-law. He says, I thought of her and she, she cooks and heats with, with wood. And she has a wood stove to, uh, to cook with. And we're going to return to that pretty soon, you know. She says, uh, he says, I realize that uh, my mother-in-law is alone and she has anybody to cut wood for. He said, I got my saw and I went out and I cut her a load of wood and I took it over and I put it in her wood pile there for her. Says when she walked out and saw what I was doing, she began to cry. He said, at that moment, at that moment, I thought, I had had a heart attack. Said, would you believe I couldn't breathe? I thought I was just in trouble. And serious trouble. And says, after a while, I finally got my breath back again and got away from that place. And I realized it was at that moment that I realized that God is within my heart. It was at that moment, preacher, that I know that Jesus Christ visited me and that I am part of the kingdom because I said yes to that experience that I had. He says, isn't this the devil to play? He says, finding the Lord in my mother-in-law's wood pile. 
You see what I'm trying to say? I want to tell you, folks, if there be anyone in my hearing this morning that has not yet met the Lord Jesus Christ, I'll tell you exactly where you're going to start finding him if you'll just pay attention to what I'm saying. And that's it. That good that you know within your heart that you ought to do, that good has been placed there by the Holy Spirit. That is His indwelling Spirit within you. You couldn't think of something good to do if it were not for the Holy Spirit. Now, as all you have to do is sort of like His footprint. If you want to follow Him, you do that good. I don't care how little it seems or how superficial it seems. You follow that good. Do it. If it means to go do something for your brother, go do something for your mother-in-law, whoever it is. Do the good that you see within your heart to do today, and I will guarantee you somewhere, someplace, somehow, someway, you're going to be just as the Apostle Paul and the old Sam. You're going to come to the place where you're going to come into a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, and when you have it, you're going to know that you have met the Lord. And you're going to be in a position then to say yes to Him. Yes to Him. Say yes to Him. It's within your heart and your soul. Check it there. It'll come out beautifully. Is all we have to do, you see, is just to do the good today that we see within our heart to do. And I want to tell you, that is carrying out the will and the Spirit of the Holy Spirit. It's just as simple and just as profound as that. Oh, our Father. Oh, our Father. In the midst of our dilemmas, in the midst of our frustrations, may we be always conscious of the fact that Thou art there to give us leadership. Help us then that we might follow the light that has been given to us. For we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed. We pray the Holy Spirit will make you a doer of His words, finishing the work He started and making you more like Christ for the transformation of this world and preparation for heaven.